Welcome back to Rock Bands Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Malaberti. Today we have a special episode of Rock Bands. I'm talking with YouTuber Matt Williamson of the YouTube channel Pop Goes the 60s. Now, if you don't know about Pop Goes the 60s, it is a really awesome channel that's all about the music of the 1960s. Matt knows so much about uh, so many bands in the 1960s, and of course, he knows a lot about the Beatles as well and, and their history, and honestly, I've learned so much from watching Matt's videos. In this conversation, I actually asked Matt some of the questions that you all ask me uh, about Pete Best, about Yoko Ono, about the relationship between John and Paul, but if you really want to know more about these subjects, Matt uh, over at Pop Goes the 60s has a bunch of great videos about them. I mean, he literally has videos where he breaks down audio from real recorded Beatles conversations, and you really feel like you're in the room during the Get Back sessions. Uh, Pop Goes the 60s has so many great videos, not just about the Beatles, about so many other bands, so many other um, aspects of the 1960s, and I'll make sure to link it in my bio so you all get a chance to check Matt and his channel out. We had a great conversation. We talked about the Beatles, the inspiration behind our content. We shared our thoughts on today's pop music. I think you'll really enjoy it. Next week, I'm going to be uploading the first episode of the Beatles solo careers, and in just a few weeks... Don't worry, I'm telling you all what band I'm doing next. I can't wait. So don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, at Rock Bands Podcasts. Share us on social media uh, and with all of your rock and roll loving friends. And of course, go on YouTube, subscribe to Matt's channel, Pop Goes the 60s. And I'll see you all next week. All right, now I bring you Matt Williamson from Pop Goes the 60s. got a special guest with me today. This is Jonathan Malaberti of Rock Band's podcast. We've done a multi-series on the Beatles. And he and I met recently, and we are two Beatle fans from different genres. So I wanted to bring him on the show here and talk a little bit about what the younger generation is, how they are taking in the Beatles and other music from that era. So Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm a huge fan. So this is really awesome to be here. Well, I've listened to almost all of your Beatle podcasts, and basically, uh, I would say it's just it's a history from start to finish. And what led you to do the Beatles? I started Rock Band's podcast because my friends and I, we just love rock and roll music, and we all hang out together, and there's always rock and roll on, whether it's the Beatles, the Stones, the Dead, the Allman Brothers, Bob Dylan. Uh, we've always been like having listening parties when, when we listen to our music and we talk about the music. And I am usually the person who's talking about rock and roll history. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would always dive so deep into any band that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of felt like, you know, there wasn't a lot of 
uh, rock history uh, in podcast form. There's excellent, um, you know, YouTube channels like, like yours. There's great books. Uh, there's great documentaries. But uh, I felt like, you know, a general history of rock and roll didn't really exist in the podcast world. So I really wanted to um, create a podcast mm-hmm. that was chronological because the way I look at a band is, is very chronological. Um, I look at, you know, what, what was their first album? How did they develop? Who were their members? You know, when, when was their prime? When did that end? And I, I find that sort of the best rockumentaries, for example, are only like loosely chronological and they leave out some of the most interesting stuff. I, I use this example a lot. A Rolling Stones documentary will talk about Exile on Main Street for 10 minutes, but then they'll maybe not even mention Goat's Head Soup or It's Only Rock and Roll that were really, you know, within two years of that album. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give like an even history, chronological history uh, of rock and roll bands. Uh, and, you know, so far it's it's been uh, quite well received. And, it, you know, I started with the Beatles really because there's no way to uh, talk about rock and roll, uh, especially, you know, I could have started with, the blues i could have started with chuck berry or elvis but the the rock and roll that happened because of the beatles and the pop music and the the revolution in pop culture that happened after the beatles uh continues to shape the landscape of pop music and pop culture to this day uh so i feel like the beatles are the best starting point to really understanding not only rock and roll but music and and pop culture in 2021 yeah, it's almost like pop culture was reinvented or, or started to really come of age in the 60s. And I think it had a little bit to do in Western society anyway with the war babies and the baby boomers. Because in this, like my parents grew up, um, I mean, the baby boomers, it was the first generation of the world where they didn't really have to worry about where their next meal was coming from. So they went to college, they started to think, you know, they had time, they had idle time on their hands. So that's when we started seeing pop culture really explode in a way we hadn't seen before. And you see these people going, well, I suppose it happened in the Sinatra days too. We got girls going crazy, but this mania that surrounded celebrity really started taking a new form in the sixties. Absolutely. I mean, it was really, there were pockets of it, you know, uh, but the scale and the, the scope of the Beatles success. It was, it's, it was just like, you know, almost like an alien invasion. It was just mm-hmm. completely out of left field. Yeah. I, I definitely think that uh, people for some reason are fascinated with rock history in, in particular. And, and some of it's the music. I think some of it's the myth, the mystique around the whole thing. Uh, people are always going to be fascinated by the, the sex, drugs and rock and roll. It's more than just the music. There's a charm. You mentioned the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I think the music is so good. I think people want to know a little bit about the stories behind the music and the stories behind the people who made this music. And we get that a lot now with today's music, I I guess, through social media. You know, all these, every, every popular pop artist has their social media platform where you can see what they're doing day to day, what they have for breakfast or whatever. Uh, so I guess that does exist. And maybe that's also feeding some of the hunger for people to find out more about some of these old artists. 
Yeah, well, I think celebrity culture is so different now. Um, there is the social media thing, but there's also so much more protection uh, of celebrities and general, like, if you're a celebrity now, I mean, you're really, I think it's interesting just how much richer and more like sheltered from uh, the normal world uh, celebrities today are than like the Beatles were. Um, I mean, you know, and, and even, you know, other, other artists, I think the one thing that is the same though, is people feel a connection and uh, with that, with artists personally that they like, I mean, everybody, especially young people, when you, you know, music that you like when you're young music, that's often contemporary uh, for you is, is music that you just have like a deep connection with. And uh, you look up to the artists, you want to know what they're doing, what they think. Uh, and I think uh, that is really was the driving force behind, you know, the hardcore Beatles fans. And it's still a driving force. I mean, uh, some of, you know, Taylor Swift's fans or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Olivia Rodrigo's fans or all these new artists um, are, are some of the most diehard, um, like militant supporters of an artist that, you know, really exists. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that, again, that's another thing that can be traced back to the Beatles. I don't believe that there were people that were fans as hard as Beatles fans were uh, until the Beatles came, until that explosion of music in the sixties. And that's, that's that through line is still very apparent today. Yeah. I think that the thing about the sixties, well, really through the, probably the eighties uh, is that there were multiple, there was so much talent that most people that I've come across who love the Beatles, love dozens of other bands as well and collected their stuff and know their catalogs pretty well. And I think there was just so much good stuff at the time that you know, the cream really did rise to the top. I don't, I can't say the same now because it's so manufactured now. A lot of back then, I mean, they tried to manufacture it as best they could and the powers that be and the record companies tried to uh, duplicate success as much as they could, but really it was the artists and the writers and the musicians, the baby boom generation that just, it just exploded. Nobody could really capture it in a jar. And I think that it's that uh, excitement that people are drawn to because there's not a lot of excitement now that isn't just marketed beyond belief. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you know what, you're right about that. And I think um, I'm, I'm sort of a skeptical uh, fan of pop music. Uh, I love a lot of, of pop music, especially lately. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Grateful Dead. Mm. And uh, I started going to see Dead and Company uh, the sort of most recent incarnation of, of, of the dead. And I, you know, wasn't really aware of John Mayer. Uh, and I went to see the dead and I realized that he is really one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived. I mean, you Great don't player. believe me, listen to any dead and company show. Um, and that sort of was my introduction to pop music, John Mayer to, to contemporary music. Uh, so I started listening to John Mayer, which, uh, sort of, you know, open my eyes a bit to, you know, there are some phenomenal musicians and, you know, there's always going to be cheesy pop music, but mm -hmm. uh, I listened to, for example, Harry Styles' latest album, Fine Line. There's a lot of Beatley sounds there and a lot of like a queen, a lot of queen influence. There's, you know, like these, you know, Moog sounds and uh, like tape loops. And uh, even right now, I think 2020, 2021, there's like this renaissance in, in, in pop music. Uh, where people are looking back at the music of the 60s and 70s and taking a lot from it 
uh, Taylor Swift is somebody who I never cared for uh, her music, but she's a, a phenomenon. The Weeknd, there's an artist, uh, The Weeknd, who's like kind of championing this like 80s revival synth pop mm -hmm. um, stuff. And and it's, it's, you know, actually pretty inspiring to see uh, like for the probably the most obvious time in my life, uh, rock and roll having such a huge influence on, on pop music really of today. And it's the first time I've seen it hmm. uh, in a while. So I, I do have a little hope for, for the state of, of pop music. It's true that it is, it is overly commercial. Uh, you know, streaming has completely changed everything, but um, there is, there's some, there's some good stuff and there's some even, there's some good stuff at the top of the charts. Even. So. Yeah. I, the thing that, it's so different than uh, when I was a kid is that you had radio stations, you had the soundtrack going on uh, just organically. People played the radio. And if you didn't even like music, you were exposed to the radio. And most people, we were all exposed to a lot of the same things at the same time. And I think the music now is so fragmented that that kind of maybe pulls people apart a little bit. The other thing I wanted to say about today's music is it's so hard to get have a hit today. It's probably, I don't know if it's harder to have a hit today, but there are fewer people making music. The big powers that be, there are fewer of them, fewer record companies. Mm -hmm. And well, we could all make our own, we could all make our own CD or own, we could down, you know, make our own music for downloadable purposes. And we can do that through the magic of software and have our own studios. That's something we couldn't do back. 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the 90s. So that's one of the trade-offs. We can make our own music now and do it easily and make great music. And there's some great musicians out there. It's just nobody's going to hear it. Literally, yeah, you're right. Uh, and and the, the music industry has changed so much in that way. You can't really, it's really hard to make a living off touring. It's like, um, it is so hard to break through, uh, even to get like to find a niche audience because there's just so much content. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that, that in a way is good. You can listen to a whole bunch of genres uh, that from all over the world that you wouldn't have uh, been able to hear because you wouldn't have been able to buy physically in a store. Mm -hmm. But it, has, um, it does have sort of a, uh, a fragmenting effect on, on, on pop music, for sure. So, yeah, I know that uh, you had a couple questions for me in terms of... Uh for your audience because i know you've got you must have a much younger audience than i've got yeah so uh that's actually one thing that's that's pretty interesting uh that i've i've uh discovered is the hunger for young people to just know as much about the beatles as possible mm -hmm. i mean I, I i learned about the beatles when i was i don't know 15 16 i i caught the bug not everyone catches the bug but you know like i said you know the people who dive deep are going to dive deep and there's so many people on Instagram, most of my audience is like, you know, 15 to 30. And, and they seem to, I find they get sort of uh, hooked on a few points. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it, it would be so interesting if, uh, if you could give your thoughts. So one, one question that I get uh, quite a bit is what happened uh, with Pete Best? And I kind of want your general take. What, what's your, what, what narrative do you think is, is the uh, most useful narrative when talking about uh, the replacement of Pete Best with Ringo Starr. Yeah, I'm surprised anybody's talking about Pete Best that's younger. Um, it's it's kind of a blip on the in the Beatles' history. And it's just one of the things, it's the most 
accessible conspiracy type theory part of their story, I think. I mean, there are others that get more intense. But Pete Best really um, was extremely important to their formation. And without him, we might not have the Beatles. And they ended up getting rid of him, conspiring to replace him for a couple reasons, but the main reason is he wasn't good enough to play on the studio records. And he, he wasn't as good as them. He wasn't progressing like they were. And he wasn't quite like them. He didn't hang out with them. He lived in a different part of town. The other three grew up each other with each other and they were far more tight. And um, I don't think Pete Best wanted it as much as the other three did. He just, just did not work at his craft. So, when uh, Brian Epstein, the manager, came on board, um, Pete Best, uh, whose mother and he had handled much of the bookings, that was one of his main functions. He was very valuable to the band in that way as well. And when they got a national manager, those duties were, he was relieved of those duties and probably became a little bit less valuable. Absolutely. So, so not, it's not some grand conspiracy that they were all jealous of Pete? Well, the... I did a video on this and any of your listeners can check out the video because one of the things, this is a good example where there's so much information on the Beatles that's been written by so many different people over so many different decades now. It's hard to compile all the information into one spot so you can sort it out and say, well, okay, this is right. This makes sense. Well, this isn't really that credible. We don't wait that as much. With this Pete Best video, I was able to do that. And people responded and they felt like, wow, this is all the pieces are together here for us to, to examine. Now, I would not go so far to say is that that's the end of the story. There, you know, I, I missed one point that I wish I would have included. And I'll probably do a follow-up video at some point to include that. But the general gist of it is there are a lot of reasons why things happen. Take the Beatles breakup. It's not just one reason. And some people like to say that it's one reason just because that just makes it simple but there are multiple reasons and some are weighted heavier than others you know so so it takes a little bit of digging and not, it's not for everybody but some people don't want to hear what some people have dug up which i find yeah. i find that quite fascinating yeah absolutely well by by far the 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 question i get the most and i'm, I'm this i have three big questions but the question i get the most uh, is about uh, Yoko Ono and whether or not uh, she, you know, quote, broke up the band. What do you th what do you make of Yoko's influence on on the end of the Beatles? Well, I've been diving uh, deep into her uh, presence uh, in some recent videos as well because she was certainly a disruption. And here's the thing: the Beatles, basically, those four guys with their producers and engineers. That's where they worked. And that it was just an unspoken rule. You don't bring a lot of people in. Occasionally they might have somebody dropping in here or there, but when they got down to business, they got down to business. So when John Lennon brought Yoko Ono in, without any warning, that was a problem. Now, John Lennon, I think what's important for people to know who maybe are just learning about this, Yoko Ono takes quite a lot of beating for having broken up the Beatles. Well, really, uh, it was a longer period of time where this happened, and John Lennon didn't really introduce her in a very 
respectful or professional way, in my opinion. And I think that made it harder for the others to accept her presence in the studio. It would have been one thing if you got them together and say, hey, guys, this is what I want to do. This, let's try this out. I want, I want her with me, blah, blah, blah. He didn't approach it that way. That would have been respectful. He just appeared with her and expected everybody to fall in line. I'll give you an example. George Martin was not even introduced to her. So I think that's actually, it's rude to your bandmates, rude to the staff, and rude to Yoko Ono. So, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot there. And it, it gets, it, it grows. But, you know, really, the Beatles kind of figure it out. They could have continued with Yoko there, I believe. And uh, I think Yoko Ono, there's a face to Yoko Ono. And people have it, have it, they tend to attach reasons for that things go wrong to a face. And she just has yeah. to be present at that time. So Yeah, no, she definitely gets gets a beating. And, and I think uh, even at the time, I mean, the press was immediately hostile uh, towards Yoko. But it, it's true that, I mean, that, that, is, that is a hard hurdle to overcome. All of a sudden, it's a package deal, everything you say to your band member is, is now you said to somebody you don't really know that well. Well, here's the thing. If you're going to be married to a Beatle, it ain't going to be easy for you. Now, Yoko Ono was just in the spotlight next to John. The other Beatles' wives and girlfriends were always kept out of the spotlight as much as they could. And for a lot of reasons, but it wasn't easy. Can you imagine being married to one of those guys? Man. I know. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. They're the only people more famous than them are, were like, presidents and soviet premiers and uh it's crazy so i finally the the question that i think is the most interesting and i'm I'm dying to hear your take on this map is sort of the relationship between paul and george Uh, a lot of people uh a lot of george fans in particular uh are kind of uh a bit a bit hostile towards paul and they think that paul sort of beat up on george and uh, and kept him down and, and all this this stuff. So I want I kind of want your take on, uh, you know, how do how do we go about thinking about the relationship between Paul and George and how did that impact uh, the the final years of the Beatles? That's a big question. Um, I've been delving into this as well. The more research I've been doing, this is becoming more clear to me. And what I just said about Yoko Ono, when she appeared, the Beatles broke up not that long after, 18 months roughly. And when the Beatles did break up and when the announcement was made, that's when the Let It Be film came out. And there are issues around that film and the recording of that album that kind of precede, you know, they, they precede the whole, all the history. And one of those is an argument between Paul and George. Now, Paul and George, they go back, they, know, they knew each other longer than any of the other Beatles. They, go, they went to grammar school together. I think they met when they were about you know, 12, 13, 14. And um, a lot of it has to do with the, the formation of the Beatles. Nobody could have predicted what was gonna happen, but essentially John Lennon and Paul McCartney became the songwriters. And as such, they got all the publishing and George was left behind. Now, George was the third real, I mean, he was the third Beatle, obviously. I mean, they could have, if things had happened differently, maybe the writing credit would have been all four of them, but that didn't happen. So as the money rolled in, you know, John and Paul were writing the hits, they're writing these songs. George wasn't writing. And I think there was some resentment that built up over the years. 
And by the end, uh, this idea that George had this huge backlog of songs, that's partially true. But, um, you know, I mean, they, they didn't treat him with the respect he thought he should have gotten. But then again, I wonder, had he, did he earn it? I don't know. That's debatable. Right. So in the end, um, in the end, the break of the Beatles is really three against one. So Paul McCartney looked like the bad guy as well. So you could put him in the Yoko Ono category. When the, the press release, this quasi press release he did with his first album, it made it look like he was leading the Beatles. When he was the one that wanted to keep the Beatles going more than the other three. It's really right. funny. It's hilarious how the history has told it. But he's the one that wanted it to get to stay together so bad. And, you know, things just came to a head. And uh, there's a bunch of timing issues that made it all fall apart as it did. But Paul took a lot of heat for breaking up the Beatles. And George Harrison, throughout his whole life, really, never let him off the hook for it. Yeah. George Harrison could have, you know, Paul McCartney probably could have dealt with Harrison in the years after the Beatles better as well. But like John Lennon always came back and could talk about Paul and his virtues, mm -hmm. his, his contributions. You know, Lennon could go hot cold, but at least he went hot occasionally. George Harrison never really let McCartney off the hook for his sins. Again, Always a bit salty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a shame because uh, I think that's a small way to look, a small minded way to look at the history. And it's not quite honest either because Paul, right. Paul McCartney worked hard on George's songs and his footprint, his imprint is all over them. And I think he deserves credit for that. And I think it would have been nice if George had said it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's a great point, Matt. I mean, one of the things uh, that I notice about a lot of, about a lot of George songs is Paul is, is the, 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 the second uh, harmony uh, Paul's bass is, is, you know, working overtime. There's a lot of, it really seems like Paul is working really hard to, to make, to bring the song into existence where John's influence, especially towards the end, a lot of time he wasn't even on the, on the tracks. So yeah. that's interesting, but you don't think that um, uh, there's any, I mean, there's of course some truth to it, but the whole, the, that whole narrative about Paul, uh, you know, not sort of telling George how to play guitar and, and, you know, even, playing the solos himself and that causing a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. um, you don't think that was uh, like a big, a big problem for, for uh, the band? Yes. I think Paul McCartney started to get more. He wanted to arrange more starting with the Sgt. Pepper era. Cause really the revolver album, um, there's a book by Robert Rodriguez called damn it. I can't remember the name of it. He talks, I think he maybe even wrote a book about Revolver. That album was incredibly a team effort. And for some reason, they weren't able to build on that, uh, the camaraderie and continuing to work as a team. Paul McCartney uh, in 67, he was the last Beatle to be single. He was living in London. He was cavorting more with the, the art crowd and swing in London than the other three. And I think he just took it upon himself uh, to arrange more. And that meant uh, telling George and John and Ringo uh, how he wanted things to be. Now, if it was his song, even it got to be a bit much 
in Paul's songs as well, because I think George wanted to contribute what he could contribute yeah. in his own way. And occasionally Paul said, well, no, I'd like you to do it this way. So George felt stifled uh, musically from Paul in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Who's your favorite Beatle? I don't have one. I've never you don't had have one. I've never had one. You go through fans? I know. I'm just a Beatle fan. Do you identify with anyone's songs more uh, than, than others? Not during the Beatle years. I, as far as the solo years, I think I gravitate gravitate toward George Harrison's songs more than anybody. Well, I love, I love George Harrison's solo career too. And he's definitely, I think he, that's my favorite uh, Beatles solo career though. I, I do love John and Paul. Um, but I even love the George Harrison albums that people love to tear to shreds. I, I think dark horse is a great album. I think extra texture has wow. its moments. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would have to say I'm very critical of the Beatles solo years across the board. In fact, I'm kind of excited to do reviews of their solo careers. I'm going to try to do it in a bit of a different way. Um, and it's, is it fair for me to compare them to the Beatles? Well, they're the Beatles. So I guess when they are compared to the Beatles, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough to be, to, to be compared to them. But um, yeah, even in George's lesser albums like Dark Horse or Extra Texture, there are some gems on those albums. There's yeah. no gems on all of the albums, um, but that doesn't make the album good. Right. Yeah. I still consider, I, I still think there's very few, excellent solo Beatle albums. Very few. Really? No, well, what, what, are, finish. what are the, uh, what, if you had to pick a couple, what are, what are the standouts, solo, uh, Beatles solo albums? Well, I think, you know, the first couple of years uh, are the strongest, you know, Plastic Ono Band, Imagine, um, All Things Must Pass for George. Uh, I still say Band on the Run is Paul McCartney's best, although it's not in vogue to say that nowadays. Ram is the flavor of the day right yeah Ram is a good album i don't think it's great it was certainly panned in its day and i there was a reason why it was panned in its day but um that's a good thing about some of this music it can gain stature as the years go by like ram i yeah. actually i actually loved um george harrison's last album that's that album i listened to a lot and i don't listen to as much now but at the time i loved it the first brainwashed Brainwashed, yes. Uh, the first solo album I had was uh, Back to the Egg by Wings, which I, oh. I had that at eight track. Wow. So, yeah, it's, um, there, there's a lot there to dive into. And it's, it's a little bit, uh, for me, when I compare it to other, uh, especially the decade of the 70s, there just were other artists that were far more out in front than the Beatles and just were better. They were on oh, the, the Beatles were no longer on the cutting edge of the decade of the seventies, especially starting with about 1971. I would say they're not on the cutting edge. I would agree with that. I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think as a Beatles fan, I definitely put a lot. Um, I, I definitely have probably listened to uh, like solo Beatles albums more than, uh, you know, most albums, but it's true that I think the stones uh, Led Zeppelin, um, I, again, I'm a grateful dead fan. I think those are my seventies bands. I think they really, they well, really rock the world. Very few 60s bands transition to the 70s as a band. We're talking like, I mean, you got the Stones, the Who, you got the Dead. Those are the biggest three. Is that right? Those would be the biggest three. Yeah. The Hollies. <laughs> you know, there are a few <laughs> others. Right. Pretty things. Um, not many American bands. I mean, 
The 60s ate up these bands and spit them out at the end of the decade. And they were left at the end to pick up the pieces and try to put together solo careers and different bands, which some did, but most did not. Why do young people today gravitate toward the Beatles, the ones that do? And is there, I'm sure there's just a huge section of people that really don't know who the Beatles are. And I guess I'm trying to figure out why people want to go in that direction or are they searching for this kind of stuff or they just stumble upon the Beatles or what is your, your take on that? You know, I, I really wonder because, you know, I found the Beatles, uh, you know, I started listening to that one album when I was probably 15 and I was playing guitar around the same time. And, you know, somewhere in my, you know, teenage angst was just really getting into music and uh, fascinated by the story of the band, the, this band. And I think I always knew about the Beatles. I always knew, hey, Jude and let it be. And, and here comes the sun. Every, I think every kid does. But what causes somebody like me to, you know, dive so deep into uh, the band and, and their story and their music. Uh, I think there's a real sense of community, uh, which is, you know, especially online. I remember one of the first things I sort of started getting introduced to when I was getting into the Beatles were these tribute pages online mm. run by people that were around my age. Uh, people were posting quotes and interviews and pictures all over. And it felt like there's a lot here. And it's cool that other people know a lot about it. And I kind of want to be one of those people who knows a lot about it. And, and there's not a lot of other things uh, like that. I mean, some people, you know, get into sports. Uh, some people get into contemporary artists. But the Beatles is like an institution that it still has this like vibrant community of fans that are just, they're still, it's like, you know, there's still 15 year olds and 16 year olds that are like absolutely obsessed with the Beatles. Uh, so I think the internet, uh, the general, you know, osmosis of, you know, Beatle music kind of being everywhere in movies and television shows and uh, something about the Beatles. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was that caused it in 1964 uh, or what caused it today. It is timeless and people just connect with it. They just connect with it. Um, so I think that that's really what draws young people uh, to, to the band. Well, I think you said something important there. You mentioned community and people find a community within a genre of music, apparently. And I think I've seen a lot of young people that are starting to collect vinyl. And I never thought I would see that, but it's getting to be uh, some people are, are really into it. I'm, I'm happy to see that because you know, I'm not, I don't feel like you just have to have it on vinyl. You get kind of these uh, hipster types that really, you know, that's, it's vinyl or nothing. It's really the music. So it's keeping the music alive and keeping the history mm -hmm. of these bands alive and understanding how it all works, work together then to make this culture of, and this community that we all now dip into. So I, I find it rather interesting that young people are, are grabbing up. I'm so happy that they are, which is, partly why I created my channel on YouTube, because I felt, I don't know that there's going to be that many, you know, as, as far as the obscure bands I cover, will anybody care? You know, some of these bands are so obscure, people that grew up during that time don't know them that well. So I thought this was an opportunity to say something that hadn't been said about them before, listen to their music and lay out their history 
for whoever wants it. Absolutely. And you do uh, such a, a great job of that on your channel. Thank you. Your channel is uh, really inspired much because, uh, you know, I, I, I consider myself not an expert, but definitely, a, you know, a, a passionate, uh, like, cons consumer of Beatles history. And I am usually, you know, looking at your channel to make sure getting some facts right uh, and, and make sure I'm talking about really big issues in the correct way. And, and I love your Beatles videos and I love uh, so much of, I mean, you do album reviews, you do, uh, you go deep into bands I haven't even heard of. You've opened my eyes to so many 60s bands that I had never even heard of. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I, um, yeah, I wanted to, uh, as I said earlier, I, I've been into this music my whole life and started collecting music. I was about 13. So a lot of these albums you see back here, I have had since I was a kid. And um, I just felt like once I got, as I got older and started to get more and more history and collect books and magazines and just learn about the overall history of these bands, because this was pre-internet, it was very hard to get information. You had to just scour record bits and just buy right. music. And um, as I got older, I, I really didn't have anybody to talk to about this. I mean, I was so into it. I mean, who wants to hear about the strawberry alarm clock, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I thought, well, let me put all this information I've gathered all, all these years, put it into a video format. I can use my design skills to make something that looks nice and can maybe be digestible. And that's why I started the video, uh, the video, the YouTube channel. Originally, I started writing a book 10 years ago. And that was actually a very good exercise because I'm not really a writer. I can write a bit, but it does not come naturally to me. I'm a designer. That's mm -hmm. my natural thing. So I was going to tell some of the story with design. And I was pleased with what I came up with. And I did a few bands. It could be, each band had their own chapter, but I wasn't going to get that published. So I thought, well, do I move all this information to a website? How do I do this? Then eventually I said, you know what? Maybe I do a YouTube channel because I had a friend that I was trying to get her to do a YouTube channel for a long time. And I just started listening to myself, telling her to do a channel. I said, you know what, Matt, maybe you should be the one doing the channel. So that's how I started it. And it's only been about, <laughs> about a year and a half and it's It's going well. It's right on plan. That's awesome. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad it is because it is a, it is honestly a fantastic channel. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting to know, like, you know, you talk about, you've mentioned this before to me, how people um, are, you have more of like an older demographic who they really don't, uh, they don't feel the same way that maybe I just described about uh, pop music. What, what are sort of criticisms uh, of pop that you hear a lot? And what do you, is there something uh, that you want to see pop do? Like, mm. you know, is there, do you have a, a, a specific criticism or direction uh, for pop music today? Well, the criticism I hear from people my age and older is that today's music, it sounds generic to them. I mean, the way I would, the way I would describe it, it's very computerized. It's very digital. There's not much soul in it. You know, mm -hmm. you start introducing auto-tuning and all these click tracks and all this different computerization, perfection. And 
that just doesn't, I mean, you couldn't, the Rolling Stones, if you tried to perfect the music on a, in Pro Tools or something, it's not right. terrible. So they've taken the soul out of the music. I mean, there, I still do hear good music, though. There's, I am a sucker for a good pop song. Occasionally, one does get through to me. And so there's still good things being made. It's just that I think older people just see it for what it is. Now, the past 12 years or 15 years, they don't even pretend that they're fabricating it. They've done all this, this these re reality shows like The Voice and American Idol, or they're manufacturing it right in front of you. And there's still some good music that comes out of that, but it's, it's really not a band slogging it out in the bars. And do bands have stories anymore? You know, is there, there's not another, there's not, we talk about the Beatles, even when I was in college, you know, when U2 came up, I mean, they were, they were a band that was writing about topical things. There were the politics of some of their music. It, it, it made sense. And they had something to say. I don't think there's a lot being said now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's true because first of all, the the whole the band, uh, like the, being a working band, I, I don't even know if that's possible anymore. Um, I mean, you have bands like the Beatles or the band who were like working the nightclub circuit for, you know, five, 10 years before they made their first record. Uh, and they really perfected uh, their instruments. And that is one thing about pop music that I don't, there are some people, I mentioned John Mayer, who are masters at, at their at their craft, and 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 I do feel like today there there is something lacking um, musically. Sort of people aren't like honing their skills on on a certain instrument or really learning to play with other musicians. It does feel it does feel a little, um, uh, you know, assembly line production. Yes, uh, and and I think that is t a totally valid criticism of. of you know, uh, you know, tons of pop music today. Rick Beato, I don't know if you've, you've watched his channel at all. He's got 2.2 million followers. He's a musician and a producer. And he has spoken on this topic on several of his videos and how you have these, essentially, like I mentioned earlier, you have much fewer decision makers. There's fewer companies that actually create the music. And to have a, to make money doing this, you have to have a hit. So they keep rewriting the same hits with the same producers, the same engineers, multiple writers come together. And by the time it comes out, it's just something we've all heard before. Right. And it's just the masses will still consume it. But for some of us who are from a different era, who have a little bit more of a, a more sensitive palate, shall we say, <laughs> for certain, you know, instrumentation or lyrics or uh, just feeling. We notice it and it doesn't seem as human and it doesn't touch us in the same way. Obviously, if you grow up with something, it's going to touch you in a different way. I'm sure some of today's music, Taylor Swift, I'm sure will, will bring back memories for <laughs> when these young women now are in their 50s, 60s. Yeah. Um, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. One thing that's interesting is the, the experiment experimentation in pop music is a very, very different. I mean, it used to be like, what can we do to make this record sound different? Let's put a sitar on it, mm -hmm. you know? Let's put a, a distorted saxophone riff or something. Uh, you Good know, point. now it's like, 
okay, let's not, let's just do something that won't make this sound weird. You know, we don't want this music to sound weird. We want to be very, yes. like, it's palatable. the opposite now. Yeah. Back in the, yeah. I would say up and through the, or up through the 90s, mid 90s, before the computer came out and took over, before the internet, music was fiercely competitive and it was cutthroat and everybody was, that's why in the 60s things moved so fast because you had to get there first. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Brian Wilson shit can a whole album because he didn't get there first, you know? The Smile <laughs> album, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it was that competitive. I don't see any competition anywhere near that today. There's not a competition between artists. There may be a competition between producers and writers and companies and social media. There's competition in social media and to see how many followers you have. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be there's any, any kind of competition in trying to write a better song, trying to play it more uniquely, getting fantastic players on that are new, young players. I don't see any of that at all. I mean, maybe I'm missing it, but. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're, you're right. I think the, the, the musical competition is very, very different. Um, and I think part of that is because, again, I've mentioned this a couple of times, the, the idea of being a working band uh, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a rock and roll band, a working sort of act. Uh, it doesn't really apply anymore. You know, you, you want to get big enough so you can sort of, you know, do your giant stadium show and or, uh, or arena show. And, um, you know, it takes it does take a lot of soul. It takes a lot of uh, life out of it. Uh, and, and I think it's it's it feels so distant now uh you know it used to feel there used to be a definite community of musicians Mm -hmm. and and i i I don't think that that you're right i don't think that exists anymore i don't think the biggest acts are you know i don't even think you have to be in the same room to collaborate with somebody i mean i think you can just send a tape of you singing and they'll put it on an album you know there's not like a session where you're I mean, there, now there's a big thing right now where there's so many collaborations, this huge person singing on a remix of this person's song. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that, you know, that person was never in the room with the other artists. They just sent a tape over and, and yeah. you can, you can hear it. You can hear the, the lack of, uh, of, of sort of innovation and creative kind of shoulder rubbing. Well, certainly the music through the seventies and I'm sure beyond well through the nineties, I guess. If I listen to some of the grunge uh, musicians and some of that rock music of that, of that time, these guys picked up a vibe from one another when they were playing together. And that's part of the magic of that take. And there is, they would, I mean, if you're a good band and you're really on, you can go somebody on to higher achievements. And, you know, I, I just don't see how that can happen on a laptop with somebody on a <laughs> Malibu and somebody getting the vocal from LA and then so and so mixes it in Timbuktu, right? Just, you know, I, I just—I mean, that's fine. Yeah, they do make music is made that way. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm going to stick to the old stuff. Thank you very much. And I've got there's so much, and it's such a rich time. And I'm pretty much talking about the whole 20th century here, mm-hmm. down here. That I mean, I will never want for new music. I'll never listen to even one percent of it all. In my right, life. right. So it's not like I'm looking for new music. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think, you know, I love uh, guitar, bass, drums, 
maybe some keyboard. That's all. That's always my favorite thing. I think the Beatles are. That's why I love the Beatles. I think they're one of the best. There's a lot of myth around them. There's a lot of story around them, but I think when it comes to just a rock and roll band, hard to beat them. And I every week discover a new rock and roll band, whether it was a '70s band, a '60s band, a '90s band, '80s band, uh, that I there's an iceberg uh you know of of new material that i have not yet uh, uncovered from their uh, from their stuff so you're right you really could go the rest of your life especially now with streaming without listening to anything uh recorded after the year 2000 yeah. and and have a great time well it's very, i'm very dangerously close to doing that as it is <laughs> so yeah it's um it is interesting how um I still find new stuff as well. And there's, there's groups that I've kind of avoided. Maybe I didn't like them upon first listen. And then that's the thing about community. People can get you involved in something or somebody might suggest something. And I've been introduced to things on YouTube or different uh, streaming services, I suppose, where I thought, yeah, that is better than I thought it was. Or I listened mm -hmm. to it a second time, maybe an album I listened to 30 years ago. It sounds different to me now. So there's all kinds of things as you go through life, if music is your thing, it keeps getting reborn and it keeps um, offering new things. The same old songs that I've, I, I sometimes will hear a Beatles song, I'm like, damn, I never heard that in that song before. It yeah. Just, oh. And uh, so I might probably have heard several hundred times, you know, and that's Absolutely. the of music. If it's, yeah. a good, if it's a good song, you're going to continue to get good things out of it. I mean, it's it's and it and it is impressive how much uh, you know how much potential there still is with uh, an instrument like the electric guitar or you know a singer songwriter how how much there's still to do um, in terms of you know composing great music so hopefully you know there's there continues to be good soulful music being made mm -hmm. uh, like I said I think maybe the the music industry right now is is sort of in a bit of a you know, not, not a rent, not maybe not as a big a thing as a Renaissance, but there's definitely some interesting themes going on. Uh, and I hope it continues. Well, I think live music seems to be, I mean, these tribute bands are all the rage, you know, you've got your top 40 bands are still playing the old stuff. I mean, it still makes people move. So as long as it makes people move, they're going to continue to play it. Mm -hmm. 